Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith, using once again the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. Last time we considered what the Bible teaches about the creation of the world and the angels. And today, with God's help, we want to consider what the Bible teaches about the providence of God. In that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 104. Hear the word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Thus far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his holy word to our hearts today. Dear friends, some things in life are hard to understand. Why do people, sometimes even young people and even little children, die in sudden and tragic circumstances? After an accidental or painful and debilitating disease, a suicide, a natural disaster, a terrorist attack, a murder, or perhaps for no apparent reason at all? Why is it that wars happen, resulting in the loss of millions of lives and billions of dollars worth of property? And why is it, as Asaph wondered in Psalm 73, why is it that the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous suffer? Well, there are some who say that this is simply the luck of the draw. 
Our lives are controlled by chance or fate. Some people are lucky, others just aren't. And sometimes even professing Christians speak like this. But the Word of God teaches something different. The Word of God teaches that God is in control of all things. And that means whatever happens to us in this life happens not by chance, but by the will of our Father in heaven. And that in ways we do not always understand, everything serves to accomplish his sovereign purposes. We call this the doctrine of providence. And it's to this doctrine that we turn our attention today with the Lord's help. And our theme is God's providential care over his creation. And we'll see that this is, first of all, an awesome truth. It is, secondly, a profound mystery. And it is, thirdly, a blessed comfort. The doctrine of God's providence is an awesome truth. And this doctrine is summarized for us in Article 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And there we confess, and I quote, that God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance. Now, this definition contains two negative statements and one positive statement. The first negative statement is that God did not forsake the things that he had created. And that's the teaching of deism. According to this teaching, God created the world and everything in it, but he is no longer intimately involved in it. He's like a clockmaker, and the universe is like a giant clock. God designed it, he made it, but after he got the pendulum swinging, he took a step back and allowed it to run on its own. The second negative statement made here is that not only did God not forsake the things that he had made, he also did not give them up to fortune or chance. Now, this is the teaching of the Epicureans. Epicureans, that's named after Epicurus, a Greek philosopher who first propounded this view. And these people are mentioned at the end of this article of our confession, and they're also mentioned in the Bible. In Acts 17, verse 18, remember Paul was in Athens, and some of the men who heard Paul preach were Epicureans. Epicureans did not believe in a God who controlled all things. They said that whatever happens in this life happens purely by chance. Well, our confession rejects both of these views. Over and against the deists, our confession asserts that God did not forsake his creation. And over and against the Epicureans, our confession asserts that God did not leave everything to chance. Well, what then do we believe? What do the scriptures teach regarding God and his ongoing role in the creation? Well, again, I quote from the Belgic Confession of Faith. We believe that God, and I quote, rules and governs all things according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. Now, this is the positive statement in this article. And here we confess that God is intimately involved with his creation so that everything that happens happens not by chance but because God has willed it. Now by his providence, God does two things. 
First of all, he upholds, or we could say he preserves his creation. So God not only created all things, but he also keeps them going. And that's clear from Psalm 104, which we just read together. The psalmist begins with calling on the Lord to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he says. And the rest of this psalm gives reasons why his soul should bless the Lord. And he mentions things like he laid the foundations of the earth, and he covered it with the deep as with a garment. He sends the springs into the valleys. He gives drink to every beast of the field. He causes grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. He appointed the moon for seasons. He opens his hand and his creatures are filled with good. He hides his face and they are troubled. So God cares for and maintains his creation. He upholds it. But he not only upholds it, but he also governs it. And by that we mean that God directs all things, even the so-called bad things, to accomplish his purposes, so that nothing happens by chance. Now, dear, dear ones, what an awesome truth this is. If nothing happens by chance, then how great is God? Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing is too small or insignificant for him. He knows everything, and he cares about everything. He's got the whole world in his hands. Truly, God is an awesome God. And this doctrine of providence is an awesome truth. But it also contains a profound mystery. And that brings me to my second point. One of the questions that's often raised in connection with the doctrine of providence is its relation to sin. Specifically, the question is, if indeed nothing happens by chance, then is God responsible for the fall? And if God is responsible for the, for the fall, is he also responsible, at least partly, for the sins that we commit every day? Well, the answer of our confession, answer, echoing the Holy Scriptures, is absolutely not. We confess here, nevertheless, God neither is the author of, nor can be charged with, the sins which are committed. So here our confession clearly and without apology denies that God is the author of sin, nor is he responsible for the sins which men commit. Now that's clearly scriptural. In James 1, verse 13 and 14, James writes, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And John says something similar in 1 John 2, verse 16. He writes, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the eyes, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And so the scriptures are clear. God is in no way responsible for the sins of man. Well, if that is true, how then do we explain the origin of evil? Well, some, in an effort to get around this particular problem, have said that God merely permits sin, but he doesn't actually cause men to fall into sin. Others have said that God has no control over sin. God would like to prevent sinful actions from taking place, and he would like to prevent their consequences, but he can't. 
But beloved, these explanations contradict the scriptures, which clearly teach that God is in control of all things, even evil. A better explanation can be found in our confession. And thereafter, stating that God is not the author of sin, nor can be charged with the sins which are committed, declares, and I quote, that his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. Now here we confess that while God does not cause men to sin, nor is responsible for the sins that they commit or their consequences, he nevertheless uses sin to accomplish his purposes. Now we have a good illustration of that in Acts chapter 2, and verse 23. The Holy Spirit had just been poured out on the day of Pentecost. The disciples began to speak with tongues. And when some of the Jews accused them of being drunk, you remember how Peter stood up and preached the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And in verse 23, he makes this very important statement. He declares to them that Jesus, and I quote, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now we learn two things here. We learn, first of all, that Jesus was predestined to die. His death was no accident. He was not the victim of an unfortunate set of circumstances. His death was the outworking of the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was determined from all eternity by God himself that his son should die. Second thing we learn here is that those who killed the Lord Jesus are fully responsible. Peter says, Him have ye taken, and by wicked hands crucified and slain. Now from this it's clear that although God is not the author of sin, nor is responsible for the sins which men commit, he uses the sins of man to accomplish his purposes. In this case, the death of his only begotten son. But that doesn't answer all of our questions, does it? For another question remains, and the question is this. If God is in control of all things and nothing happens by chance, why do bad things happen also to God's people? Now, in the introduction to my sermon, I said that some things in life are difficult to understand. And I asked, why is it that God sometimes takes away a parent of young children as a result of an accident or illness? Or why do people, sometimes even young people and even little children, die in sudden and tragic circumstances? Why do wars happen, resulting in the loss of millions of lives and billions of dollars worth of property? Why is it that sometimes the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Why do these things happen? Why do these things happen even to God's people? Well, before we answer that question, several things are clear. First of all, God never makes a mistake. His way is perfect, even if we do not understand it. He's the potter, we're the clay. And that means he is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants with us or with his creation. And in some way, he uses tragic and painful events in our lives to accomplish his purposes in us as well as in others. Secondly, we have to remember that we don't always see the whole picture. Tragic events, like I've just mentioned, touch people in ways that we may never know about. Only in eternity will we understand why these things had to happen. 
Thirdly, we need to remember that whatever terrible things happen in this life are not God's fault. They're ours. Had we not fallen into sin, none of these terrible things would ever happen. But we chose to disregard God's warning. Of our own free will, we fell into sin, and now we must suffer the consequences. But when all of this is said and done, we, we still question why God allows such things to happen. And the answer is we simply don't know. All we can do is humble ourselves before him, remembering that he is the potter and we are the clay, and therefore he is entitled to do whatever he wants with his own. More than that, we cannot say. And this is also what we confess in this article. We confess here, and I quote, as to what he does surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into it further than our capacity will admit of. But with the greatest humility and reverence, adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are disciples of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word without transgressing these limits. In other words, what our confession is saying is this. There are some things that God has not revealed to us. And that means when things happen that we don't understand, we should not always demand an answer. Instead, we should humble ourselves before God and continue, as difficult as that may be at times, but to continue to trust in him. Isn't that also what Job did? In a single day, God took away all of Job's possessions, his flocks, his herds, his goods, his children, and in the end, his health. But at no time did God, did Job, was Job ever bitter or angry or resentful against God. When Job was told of the calamities that had befallen him, he said this, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And later, when his wife encouraged him to curse God and die, Job said, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And then we read, In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. In fact, later on in this book, Job declares, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And to be sure, that may not satisfy us. It certainly doesn't take away the pain but it does give us some perspective and something to hold on to, which is far more than anything that the world has to offer. And so, child of God today, do not despair, but like Jacob at Peniel, continue to cling to the Lord. Lean on him, trust in him, and know that one day all of your questions will be answered and it will all make perfect sense. And so the doctrine of providence contains a profound mystery, but it also offers a blessed comfort. And that brings us to our third and final point. Our confession ends with these words, and I quote, This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a paternal care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust, being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. End quote. That's one long sentence. And in this one sentence, our confession seeks to explain the great comfort of this doctrine for the believer. And three things are mentioned here. First of all, 
The doctrine of providence teaches us that nothing can befall us by chance. In other words, we're not the pawns of fate. All things are under the control of God, and he uses all things to accomplish his purposes. And that means there is a reason and a purpose for everything that happens, both in the world and in our personal lives, both the so-called good things and the so-called bad things. Now, what that purpose is, we don't always know. We may never know, at least not in this life, but just knowing that there is a reason and a purpose for everything is of immense comfort, especially when we are made to undergo severe trials and afflictions. Secondly, the doctrine of providence reminds us that God is watching over us as a father watches his children. A confession says that God is our gracious and heavenly father. Now, each word here is significant. Gracious means he's full of grace. That means he will give us the grace that we need to endure trials and to endure afflictions, and he will not test us beyond what we are able to bear. He's also our heavenly father. That means he dwells in heaven, and as such he sees all things, and he knows all things, and he has the power to direct all things to accomplish his will. And he's also our father. He is to his children what our earthly fathers are or what they ought to be for us. Someone who cares for us, someone who provides for us, who protects us and comforts us. And as our gracious heavenly father, he, and I quote our confession again, he watches over us with a paternal care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust. Well, here our confession is quoting the words of Matthew 10, verse 29. And thereafter, commanding his disciples to go out and preach the gospel, the Lord said to them, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So here our Lord reminds his disciples, whom he sends out into a hostile world, that they do not have to be afraid of men. For if a little sparrow, which is sold for just a few pennies in the marketplace, cannot fall to the ground without the will of our Heavenly Father, how much more will he not allow his own disciples to suffer at the hands of men? And if he knows the number of all the hairs on our head, then nothing escapes his notice. He knows everything about us. And dear friends, that is of immense comfort. It means that we don't have to go through life worrying. God will take care of us. He will look after us. As surely as he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, so surely will he feed and clothe us and give us everything that we need. Thirdly, the doctrine of providence reminds us that as our heavenly Father, God, and I quote, so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. Now this too is a great comfort. The Bible teaches that believers are constantly under attack by the evil one. And these attacks come in various forms, in the form of temptations and doubts and fears and questionings. And what a comfort it is to know 
that God is restraining the devil. The devil cannot have his way with us. He can only, he can only attack us according to God's permission. And he can only tempt us. He cannot tempt us beyond what we are able to bear. I think of Job again. The devil hated Job because he was a righteous man. If the devil had it his way, he would have crushed Job to powder. But God would not let him do that. Instead, he put limits on what Satan could and could not do. And every time Satan wanted to do something, he had to ask God for permission. So we learn here that God nowhere promises that he will prevent his people from being attacked by the evil one. He nowhere promises that his people will always be healthy and always enjoy prosperity as so many claim today. That's not found in the Bible. Sometimes the Lord allows the devil to attack us. Sometimes he allows calamity to befall us. And there may be many reasons for this. But one thing we know, that it all comes from his hand. And the devil cannot hurt us beyond the limits that he himself has prescribed. Well, this then is the unspeakable consolation which the doctrine of providence affords to the believer. Sadly, the, believer, the unbeliever has no such comfort. The unbeliever in this world must go through life alone. The unbeliever has no father to care for him. He has no father to watch over him, to love him, to provide for him. And when he dies, he will have to spend an everlasting eternity in hell under the wrath of this father. But not so the believer. The believer in Jesus Christ has the comfort of knowing that God is his father and that whatever befalls him in this life is part of God's plan. Guillaume de Bray, the author of this confession, had that comfort too. When de Bray was in prison facing certain death, he wrote a letter to his wife about his arrest. And he writes this. He says, Now remember that I did not fall into the hands of my adversaries by mere chance, but through the providence of my God, who controls and governs all things, the least as well as the greatest, which is shown in the words of Christ, namely that God knows the number of my hairs. How then can harm come to me without the command and providence of God? It could not happen unless one should say that God is no longer God. It is very true that human reason rebels against this doctrine. This I have experienced. When I was arrested, I would say to myself, so many of us should not have traveled together. We were betrayed by this one or that one. We ought not to have been arrested. With such thoughts, I became overwhelmed until my spirits were raised by the thought of this providence of God. Or would you be able to say the same? Do you, like Debreu, believe on the providence of God? Does that also manifest in your life, especially how you respond to various trials and circumstances? This is only possible when we are united to Christ by a true and living faith. My friend, are you united to him today? Is he your Savior? You cannot have God as your Father unless you have Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so if you do not know him, I urge you, come to him today. He is so willing to receive you, to adopt you as his child and heir.